Hi everyone, I'm Tom Johnson and you're listening to Optimist in Progress, where we speak to change leaders, innovators and self-starters who inspire and fuel the practice of being optimistic. In this episode, Dr. Drea Letamendi and I speak to our guest, Dr. Jonathan Leary. Yep, I'm the only non-doctor on this episode. Jonathan is the founder of Remedy Place, the world's first social wellness club dedicated to bringing their guests back into balance. And he's become a leading voice in holistic wellness, being featured in Forbes and Vogue and hosting wellness retreats at amazing places like the Cannes Film Festival. Starting in chiropractic medicine, Dr. Jonathan built an extensive foundation in the understanding of anatomy, physiology, neuroscience, clinical nutrition and rehabilitation. He built a practice that was different from a lot of Western and particularly North American medicine, choosing not to focus on surgical or pharmaceutical interventions, but developing techniques that optimise the body's natural ability to heal itself. And we hear in this podcast how much that worked for everyone he treated, from Olympic athletes to patients of all walks of life. But as Jonathan's patients made changes to their lives, they found that they were physically healthier than ever, but they missed some of the more social interactions that were associated with their more excessive lifestyles, which I think is something that we're seeing to change a lot right now. So much conversation around health has focused on physical health or even fitness, but now we're seeing that's just a part of it. Mental health, as well as social health, need to be nourished and developed too. Jonathan set up Remedy Place as a space where people could look after not just physical, but mental, spiritual and social wellness too. The first club's in West Hollywood and you can stop by for an ice bath, an infrared sauna or a non-alcoholic drink, in all in its beautifully designed setting. I really enjoyed this conversation with Jonathan and there's an idea in here which I hadn't heard before but it was about connecting without toxicity which I think is something that is really interesting when you start to look at so many adult social occasions how we connect with each other where there's junk food or there's alcohol or there's other toxins. What he's done is build a place where people can go without that and still enjoy social connection and look after themselves And I think that a lot of what he talks about in his treatment are very simple ideas that are accessible. You don't necessarily need to be able to afford your own ice bath or be able to have an infrared sauna to be able to do some of these treatments. And most of them can be done in the home. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Here's Jonathan. Hey, how are you? Hello. How's it going? So Jonathan, I'm aware now that I'm the only person who's not a doctor on this uh, in this conversation. You got to upgrade. I'm happy to introduce you to Dr. Drea Letamendi, who is a co-host of the podcast uh, and clinical psychologist who has been here from day one with The Optimist. So happy to be connected. Yeah, likewise. I'm excited for today. So we start each episode with the same question, which is, do you think of yourself as an optimist and I know in the space where you operate with this kind of overlap of physical mental health with an overlay of uh, good medical understanding that's probably a kind of interesting question because it relates to all sorts of different things but is optimism or thinking of yourself as an optimist something that comes to mind? 100% I mean I think it's so important to have that outlook on life and I think the possibilities of our growth and potential are limitless and you know our response or our reaction or how we handle ourselves i mean all of these things inevitably you know make us who we are 
So you have to be optimistic. Right. It's a frame of mind. I know that you live uh, here in L.A. and um, that Remedy Place is in West Hollywood, which we which we'll definitely talk about. Um, But can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing, especially in terms of the concepts of well-being and self-care? What were the early messages you received and and what do you think shaped those messages? You know, um, I grew up in a small town in Rhode Island. It was definitely a very different life. Um, small town culture, you know, most people that live there, their parents live there and then their parents' parents live there. Um, and I wasn't exposed to too much health. You know, Rhode Island's actually the most heavily populated area of Italians in the country. And although I'm not Italian, I was submerged into this culture and, you know, Italians love their breads and pastas and cheeses. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily give you the healthiest food. And my parents were funny because they they tried so hard to like live a healthy lifestyle for us and because my family's all skinny they thought oh you know you can kind of just eat anything um but we we didn't really know you know we weren't allowed to have soda but you know i'd have ice cream and pizza you know so there wasn't too much and there really wasn't any alternative medicine. I was never exposed any of it, to any of it until really I, when I moved to LA and my sister was a nurse and my mom worked in the hospital. So I was exposed to the hospital setting and I always knew I wanted to help people, but you know, I, I learned so much along the way and that has really shifted everything that I know, but it wasn't until I moved to LA that I really understood health outside of, you know, growing up, I was a trainer and being a personal trainer and working out was like, that's how you become healthy. It was, I've always worked out since I was a kid and I was active as playing sports, but eating healthy, even in high school, when, you know, you're like, you have to eat healthy. It was like broccoli, rice, and pieces of chicken that were plain, but still not the balanced diet that I now know of. Right. It's certainly interesting to think back on how a lot of us were raised and the, I guess the, the different, uh, the frameworks, right? The, the types of ways in which we would be taught, um, whether intentionally or not about what's good for us, what's not good for us. Like this type of food is bad for us. That type of food is good for us. Um, but rarely conversations about how we feel, right? How are you feeling inside? Um, I'd love to talk to you more about your journey with, um, chiropractic medicine. What made you kind of go in that direction? And then also tell our listeners, uh, more, a little bit more about that discipline and how it relates to wellness. Yeah. So like I said earlier, you know, I knew I wanted to get into healthcare. I started shadowing in the hospital in, in high school, doing any volunteer work just to get there. I did the pre-med route through undergrad. And as I was integrated more and more into the hospital setting and like being around that environment, I was like, I don't know if this is personally the lifestyle that I wanted. Cause I saw these doctors that were overworked away from their families, you know, always stressed, no sleep. And I'm like, that's not the ideal lifestyle. And then, you know, patients in the hospital setting, you see just a lot of things that are sad, you know, and it's a tough environment to stay happy and optimistic when the energy of a hospital is, you know, no one wants to be there. Um, and it's really chaotic. So I started exploring like, what else can I do to help? And that's where I was like, okay, maybe I'll get into physical therapy because I was already a trainer. 
And one of my friend's dad was a chiropractor, but chiropractors in Rhode Island, they mostly just partnered with lawyers and focused on car accidents and did PI cases. But, right. you know, I sat down with him and he was like, listen, you know, what you're talking about, you know, there's different types of chiropractic. And in California, chiropractors are actually primary care physicians. They just don't puncture the skin or prescribe meds. So he kind of introduced me to it. And I thought, okay, I'll reach out to the school, hear more, went uh, to someone in admissions, ended up becoming really friendly with her. She helped guide me and teach me all about it because I've never at that point even understood really what chiropractic was. And, you know, I ended up finding out the next year that I didn't um, apply to med schools and I applied to this one chiropractic school. And I was like, you know, if I get in, I get in. And I also want to move to LA. And then next thing I know, I was, I moved across the country, started this chiropractic school. And, you know, the first two years are very similar. It's the same anatomy, physiology, cadaver labs, biochemistry, you're learning pretty much the same things. So I didn't know if I was on the right path or what I was doing. But then once the practical started and I started actually seeing patients and seeing the benefits and really understanding what chiropractic was, I was just going to get the degree. So I was like, Hey, I can have the, the increased scope and I can do anything I want. Maybe I won't even do chiropractic. Maybe I'll just focus on, you know, more of the mental health and movement and nutrition. Um, but then I came to find out over those years, how powerful each one of these tools were. And then I was introduced to Chinese medicine. I was introduced to functional medicine. And because the scope in California is so, so wide, I was able to apply so many different tools to my tool belt. Um, but chiropractic was cool because for those that though, like who don't really know what chiropractic is, you know, chiropractic's mostly adjusting the spine, but they also are looking for the root cause of, you know, what they're dealing with, which most of the cases it is pain and you can't have pain when things are properly moving. So it's really understanding the, like the biomechanics of the body and how to restore motion. And one of the quickest ways to restore motion in the body is through an adjustment, which is a high velocity, low amplitude thrust into a joint. And it's fascinating because if I can, I can measure your range of motion and when you're in pain, it's always limited. You do a quick adjustment, you drastically increase that range of motion and pain drastically decreases. Um, and then how my practice was different is I went into the nutrition. I went into the physiotherapy. I started adding Chinese medicine and then I was using functional medicine as my patient's annual physical. And for those of you who don't know what functional medicine is, when you go to your medical doctor, you get diagnostic blood work um, to know if you're sick or not. You know, do you have high cholesterol, high blood pressure? Um, functional medicine is really a series of different blood tests to tell me how every organ's functioning, how every system's functioning, every deficiency, toxicity level, sensitivity. Then I start really understanding how the body's working and looking for imbalances or red flags and figuring out what does the body need and what doesn't it need? And then when you start shifting the lifestyle and what you're doing to the body or putting in the body, everything miraculously starts getting better. And you know, the body's really powerful. It knows how to heal it. If you have a cut, it will scab over and it will heal. You have a broken bone, your, bo your body will build the new bone to heal. Um, the same thing when it comes to most things that happen with our health. And I just, I learned, I, I had my practice for five years after I graduated and every single day and every week, seeing the benefits and seeing the power of the treatments were 
miraculous. You know, I had a hundred percent success rate with any patient that I took on that had to get surgery. Not one of my patients has ever gotten surgery. And then understanding like, why isn't this more readily available? Or why are chiropractors seen as fake doctors? Why, you know, when I step into, you know, a zoom call with a whole entire medical team, why are they like, who are you and what are you doing? You know, and I, and I was also young, so I kind of got a lot of eye rolls, but then when they saw how fast my patients were healing or, you know, got them walking again or fixed a chronic issue, this is where they started reaching out and being like, what did you do? And they're like, what do you mean you're putting a hyperbaric chamber in their home? Or what do you mean you did functional medicine panels? And it, it was cool because, you know, medical doctors, you know, like yourself, you're, you're taught medicine, right? You're studying mostly medicine where most alternative medicine doctors, it's less the, of the pharmacology and more how to treat through natural things like, you know, nutrition, movement, um, psychology. And every day I'm still amazed. And, you know, one of the long-term visions and goals of Remedy Place as we grow as a platform is to fund research for alternative medicine because, you know, Big Pharma is never going to fund research on my chiropractic sessions or my functional medicine. And I think we really need a heavy hitter in the industry to show the world that this stuff is real and this is science. Um, and just because there isn't as much research, it still works and it works amazing. Let's pick up on that a bit then, because I think you know it's, it's amazing to see what you're doing and you're on a mission to bring about change in the holistic health and wellness space um, with your sights set on some transformation of the healthcare system, which is, yeah. I have to say, as someone who is an immigrant, as someone who didn't grow up in the US, is one of the most n difficult things to navigate of anything about moving country. It's, it's so confusing and so yeah. um, reliant on prescribing things. It seems like the answer is always uh, a quick prescription or a, uh, a, a jab or a surgery. It's, it, it's a kind of quick um, fix for something. So could you talk about some of the areas that you can see where uh, reform or transformation is ripe in this system? 100%. So I think the biggest problem that we have with our healthcare system currently is we're fully dependent on our healthcare professionals and we're reactive. You know, we wait for things to go wrong before they get fixed. And I think what the shift that needs to happen is we need to teach people how to be independent and proactive. And that can only be done through education. And with education, you know, it's putting control back in your patient's hands. So they obviously have to want to put in the work, but it also takes a lot of time if they are willing to put in the work. And I think that the last statistic that I read was the average doctor visit in America is eight minutes long. So if you think about it, how much can I get to know you or how much can I teach you within eight minutes? So it's kind of, you know, like a medical system set for failure for this shift because not that any doctor is trying to do something bad, you know, they're doing exactly what they were taught, um, you know, and through med school, it's like, what is the problem? And here's the prescription or here's the surgery. But it's also, if even if they wanted to dive into nutrition or movement or, or any of these natural things that we're talking about within remedy, they don't have the time. And, you know, especially in a hospital setting, these doctors are so overworked, they're on the go, they're you know, they haven't slept and it's so fast and it's so, it's not, I don't want to use the word transactional, but it's that setting is setting them up for, you know, not the best way or not enough time 
to get to know their patients or to teach their patients. So I think the biggest thing that I want to do with remedy, you know, if you, as a whole, you know, alternative medicine doctors do tend to have longer visits, you know, most times with your chiropractor or your acupuncturist or your naturopath, or your functional medicine doctor, usually it's at least an hour, you know, so it's, they have the capabilities to educate more, but when I'm saying that I want to teach people how to regain their own health independence and learn how to take care of themselves and put the power back in their hand, it really just comes down to that education I was saying. And I think when my practice was maxed out and I couldn't see anybody, I was like, how can I, one of my patients was like, John, how are you going to change healthcare seeing one patient at a time? And I was like, oh, wow, you know, that's, that's true. And I was like, how, how can I reach more people? And that's where I started getting into like speaking engagements and doing these bigger talks. And I was like, wow, like what I would tell, teach one patient, I could stand on stage and teach thousands of people. I want to grow a remedy place to become a giant platform, a platform that people know that they can trust and that has reliable information so that they know what to do to start taking care of themselves. The first time we met, was at the Remedy Place and realized um, that there was huge alignment of missions between Optimist and what you're, you're looking at at Remedy Place. And I was talking about uh, trying to decouple social interactions for adults from their dependency, the, the occasion's dependency on, um, on alcohol or junk food or, or kind of lots of other things that we just assume have to be there if we're getting together as, as adults. And then you talked about Remedy being about social wellness um, from some of the treatments that you've done and some of the experience you had from treating uh, your patients. Can you tell me kind of how you arrived at social wellness as a, as a purpose for Remedy Place? So the social side of the club. When I was saying that my goal as my patient's doctor um, was to put control back into their hands, that required a lot of lifestyle changes. And these lifestyle changes inevitably ended up fixing their issue. So they would always say, Dr. Leary, you know, my pain's gone. My gastrointestinal problem's gone, X, Y, and Z. But they're like, my social life sucks. They're like, how, <laughs> how, you know, how am I supposed to, how am I supposed to follow all these healthy rules and go out with friends, go on a date? What happens when I'm at these events? What happens when I'm on a plane traveling all over the world? And, you know, I used those five years in my practice to do extra clinical evidence on what was needed in the club and what worked and how to combine things in different sequential orders and timing to maximize the healing process. But I also wrote down everything that my patients would say, like, what are the common problems that I would see them face when creating a company and creating a solution? I wanted to use those five years as, as much due diligence to figure out what are all the gaps that I can fix. One of the biggest issues was that was the common theme. Right. And I was like, why is everything that we do when we socialize either filled with temptation or toxic? You know, um, and sometimes even if you don't do something bad, but if you're stressed out because it's constantly in front of you and you're stressed out, that can be evenly as detrimental to the body. Yeah. Um, so I was like, all right, I need to create a club that is temptation and toxin free um, and one that can also just be a healthy substitute for what they're all already doing when they socialize. And I was, you know, I'm like, what do people do? So we started looking at like, all right, what is the most social things? We go on dates, we take meetings, we meet friends after work, maybe we go to for 
Sunday brunch or we celebrate things like a birthday or a corporate outing. And I was like, all right, I just want to create a social substitution. I want to create mm. a healthier alternative, a healthier option that we can make these replacements. Um, because, you know, there's a lot of studies and obviously even before COVID, but now after COVID of, you know, the consequences of isolation and loneliness on our health. And, you know, when I, you know, you talk to some people or I talk to people back home in Rhode Island that aren't as aware of these things that people are in LA. And I'm like, you know, loneliness really is detrimental to your health, you know, even down to like a physical level. And they're like, okay, John, and I'm like, <laughs> you know think of how many older couples, you know, that when someone's been in love their whole life and their partner passes, the it's crazy sometimes how fast the other one dies. And that is like, you know, uh, something that people tend to understand of like, oh, wow, like you're, you're right. And that human connection is so important. And some of these studies showing like isolation being more detrimental than certain, you know, major conditions. We're not made to be alone. Um, so I'm like, okay, so like if I give someone a hug, their cortisol levels will drop. That's an actual physical change, you know? So I'm like, there's so much more to that. You know, we are a product of also our environment and we're influenced by everyone that is in our life. So I'm like, okay, like, let's kind of push into that further. And I'm like, if someone makes you feel better, there is a chemical change in your body. There's a chemical change in your brain. So I'm like, let's make sure that every single offering in the club isn't like a spa where you go and isolate yourself in each room. I'm like, everything in the club, you can do by yourself if you want, if you want your alone time. But I also want you to be able to do with somebody else. And it's it's powerful because that human connection can not only enhance the benefit of that experience or that treatment, but it can also enhance the person, the relationship of who you're with. You know, mm -hmm. if we go, if, if I go on a date and I'm drinking alcohol, you know, everyone thinks like alcohol loosens us up, but alcohol is a dissociative and it's a depressant. You know, am I actually knowing if I connect with another individual when I'm influenced by alcohol or am I just becoming more and more numb to knowing is this real? So I'm like, okay, so like if I'm on a date, I'm getting to know if, am I connected with this human being? Wouldn't I want to be in an amplified state? Do I want to be more aware? And I think the healthier we are, the more aware we are of our health and ourselves. Um, so then there's like the whole entire thing of like, you're actually strengthening connections and what's the best gift that you can give somebody, you know, anything that can help improve their health. So there's so many layers and I can go on and on, but it's the social component and really into the integration of self-care as prevention and regaining their health independence are our prime focus in the club. And have you seen that change? Because I'm fascinated by the shift too. I think that the, the, it is amazing how somehow vices seem to have crept into any, almost every adult social occasion previously. I, I lived in London before I lived in Los Angeles and, and the social life in London, generally speaking, is around uh -huh. a pub. Yeah, it's that's yeah. where that's where it is. I think that's why the non-alcoholic movement kind of was picked up there because people just needed something that wasn't an alcoholic drink if they were going to survive their social like life every week in a pub. What what I think is interesting in in LA is that actually there is a culture of going for a walk together, going for a hike, or going on bike rides, or um, or going to the gym. 
and it does seem to be gradually kind of dissociating. It does seem to be like there are other options. And actually, it's now fine to go to a bar, hang out in a bar, and not necessarily, you know, 10 years ago, everyone would be smoking. No one's doing that now. Yeah. And, um, and, and now people who have the option to have alcohol or not, and, and actually the food, you know, if you happen to not want to eat meat, you've got options there too. So yeah. it does seem to be changing. It just does seem to be evolving quite quickly. Have you noticed the difference in the last, I don't know, kind of five years or so? 100%. Um, before the pandemic, I saw a big shift to people asking questions, asking questions about their health, not wanting to like first get on a medication or first have to get a surgery. And people were more inquisitive on like, what, my, what are my options? And that kind of, you know, snowballed into so many things. And I think this is where, when you give someone options, you know, like you're talking about in London, when I, when I go see my patients or friends in London, all it is is the pub, you know, mm -hmm. like it's cold, if it's rainy, the weather's not like, you're kind of forced to go indoors a lot of the time. And it's the like, society has just made that part of the culture where someone somewhere like LA people, it's the awareness with the options. You know, there are other things to do. Um, it does help that it's so nice out and it, you like, you can go on these hikes, you know, you can go on these nice walks. Like it's sometimes people just need to know that there's the option, right? You know, even when I go to New York, it's hard. You meet with friends and it's like, do you want to like coffee or do you want to drink? And I mm. think the more <laughs> the more places that like remedy that pop up. I think what we're finding in the club is people are coming more and more, but it's because, you know, they understood like, wow, this change made sense. It made me feel better. And I think as this industry grows and the availability and people's thought process or just learning about it as that all changes, it's going to become huge. And I think, even to like the sober curious community, like it doesn't mean you have to be completely sober to not drink, you know, and it's still crazy to me that alcohol, you know, this is something that is so toxic and so unhealthy, but it's just a part of everything, you know, and it's, but I think because people aren't mentally well, and I think as mental health becomes more and more of an issue and we understand how alcohol is a depressant, I think I've, I'm just seeing a bigger shift. And like for someone like me that is always on the go and so busy, if I have a drink or two, I don't feel good the next day. I don't perform the same. And I don't have time to not perform the way that I need to perform. So why would I do something that inhibits me? And I think sometimes like even with like a non-alcoholic spirit, like your, you know, your company, a lot of the times people just need to hold something and sip something. It's not even actually the alcohol. You know, a lot of the times it's they feel more confident or they feel more loose when they hold that cup. We have to break a lot of these cycles as well as educate. People want other options. Yeah. Let's go ahead and amplify some of the discussion points regarding mental health. And I'm so glad you brought up that uh, mental well-being is becoming more and more uh, critical to our holistic health, right? Uh, as a psychologist, I completely agree. And, um, you know, in, in the particular clinical discipline, we're seeing an emergence of more and more uh, communities and patients uh, expressing increased depression, anxiety, sleep disturbances, stress. Uh, and we're 
maybe entering a, a what could be a recovery phase of the pandemic, but certainly going into what's considered an echo pandemic. So all of the uh, effects, the, the impacts that this pandemic, this crisis will have on, on all of us, really. Something that I was thinking about as you were speaking was that historically and globally, community healing is very common. And in much of our world, at least in the Western world, there's this kind of cultural responsibility to the individual like oh you you have pain or you're hurting or you have a um a mental health condition like you go take care of it and i'm wondering if you can uplift community healing and talk a little bit about um what this looks like for um for your practice and and also kind of like outside of the the physical club like how can you give us examples of where community healing could take place for folks who maybe don't have access to the club yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, being around like-minded individuals or people that inspire you or make you happy or motivate you, I mean, I think everyone really needs to look at who they surround themselves with and see, like, is this a positive relationship? And then what is this exchange of the energy? You know, does does this person uplift you? Is it someone that's in your life that you're like, oh my God, like I'm so inspired, you know, all the time, or it doesn't have to be all the time. But there has to be reasons. And I think, you know, growing up in a small town and then coming out here, I'm understanding the power of the surroundings and the power of diversity and culture and understanding and learning and being a sponge in every single room. And I think taking uh, these relationships and allowing these relationships to make you grow is so important. And I think what's worked for me, you know, even outside of the club is finding the right people that help, help me make myself better. And I think, you know, people that have in a relationship or married, like that's your partner is your partner up. Are you, you know, working together to uplift yourself to be, you know, a constant better version of yourself and finding those communities too. It doesn't have to just be remedy. You know, it might be, you know, your favorite park, it might be, you know, it might be tennis courts, it might be your favorite hike. There's so many different communities in so many ways. I mean, I, I hope that the community or the activities that the communities are doing are healthy ones. Um, but I think, like I was saying before, human connection or like positive human connection is could be one of the most impactful things for our health. And people are, people are, need that community and people are looking for it. And I think it's something that is so important at Remedy. It's cool to see a group of like-minded individuals that really prioritize their health, that that really want to push the limits and continue to grow. You know, you might be sitting in an ice bath class or might be sitting, you know, at the bar and you're like, oh, wow, why do I feel so connected to everyone around me? And it's because you share common interests and you, you're striving to make yourself better. Um, and it's also, you come to Remedy to feel better. So like, you feel better and you're around people that are like-minded and then it's cool to see these cool, like natural relationships and friendships come out of this. To own a company that just makes people better um, and to see those interactions in the club every day, you know, even our team, they're being around that all day is such a positive influence for them. You know, they're helping but all these people being happier and being better and them shining a little bit brighter is also impacting 
positively to my team. And I think that I've seen with my patients as I've fixed a lot of their chronic issues, you know, because I've helped them, they naturally want to help me. Um, and it's cool to be around a lot of people that just want to pay it forward because it brings a whole different energy to that relationship, but also that environment. So you feel it the moment you walk in the door that there's something different there. Hmm. I think it was Cornell West who said that justice is love seen in public places. And uh, I'd like to think, you know, this is my optimism that when people feel good, um, there's harmony, there's equanimity, there's an interest in being compassionate and helping others. Um, and so what you've just pictured for us is uh, is how I kind of look at that as well. And again, hopefully um, transcending the, the, you know, club atmospheres, right? Whether we're talking about remedy other places. Yeah, and I think it's just so important. It's like, an individual can't fix, you know, every relationship, but what they can do is make themselves better. And the better that that individual is, you know, the, the brighter that they're shining, it's contagious. Right. And that, that creates these attractions. And in life, you know, we shouldn't be chasing things. We should be attracting things and the better that you are and the, the brighter that you're shining, the more that comes to you. Um, and I think once people get that and that like light switch goes off in their head and they're like, oh, wow, every time I push my health, this ripples into every aspect of my life, my relationships, my work, my creativity, you know, everything. Um, and there's no limit with your health, you know, like you can just keep getting better and better and better. And, you know, I, that's why I'm so grateful because, you know, I feel like I've grown so much in my life as an individual but and i owe that to my surroundings and the influences of amazing relationships that i've been able to encounter since i've moved to la i'm really fascinated by a quote that i read from you which uh was cold is the remedy and i think there is a whole lot of conversation right now around wellness and and if you ever look at uh, remedy which i suggest everyone does go and have a look at remedy uh, places social feeds there's a lot of ice baths yeah. there's a lot of people um diving in trying to get into the three or the six minute club seems to be the kind of big barriers to to getting in uh, and then there's a big conversation with wim hof about the kind of physical and mental health um benefits of cold um how did you kind of come to this and and why is it a central part of the practice at remedy place yeah this is a loaded question because this is my favorite part of the club um i think one cold therapy is something that my goal with the education is to show people that foundational health things that can be applied for no money can have such a positive influence on your health as a whole and i think something as simple as cold showers or, you know, filling up your own tub with ice at home. This is something that is relatively cheap, if not free. Um, and I think finding ways to be able to show people how these free things can make a big impact is something so important. But, you know, at the club, we were the only place, we were the first, and I think still the only place in the world that has commercialized ice baths into a class format. Um, and like we were saying, everything in the club is made to do with somebody else. And we, we coined the term social self-care. This is where, you know, 
doing things together and that human connection amplifies the benefits, um, but also amplifies the relationship of who you're with. And everyone in the club, in those classes, you each get your own tub. And say the three of us went into the tub together, oh, our own tub, so our class together. If no one wants to jump out first, right? Um, <laughs> so even if that is the reason why you last a couple more seconds, the health benefits are going to be amplified. There's also the camaraderie of working together and cheering each other on and helping someone through a stressful situation. Because the coolest thing about ice baths is it is it's a jolt to the body. You know, this is there's a stress response. Your body has to react, and we call it adaption training. And it's teaching the body how to adapt to stress. Um, and if you can put your body in an extreme situation and remain calm and not lose your breath and, main, and maintain a steady breath or find ways to like meditate and not let your core temperature drop as much. I mean, there's science behind it is getting crazier and crazier, but it's showing the power of the mind and how, you know, ice baths are a physical thing, but they're way more mental than physical. And it's cool to teach people not only how to accomplish something that's hard and how to adapt to stress, but it's also incredible to show people the capabilities of what the human body can do. And as you train and you do ice baths on a regular basis, the response that happens when you submerge yourself in these 39 degree tubs becomes less and less, you know, of uh, this reaction. Mm -hmm. And for me, if I can go into the ice bath and not get one shortness of breath, remain calm, keep my, my heart rate low, and then get into a meditative state while being in the most extreme situation. If I can adapt to that stress, I can adapt to any stress better. And I think it's a really cool practice, especially as the world gets more and more stressful. And, you know, the studies on breath, I mean, on breathwork and ice baths, breathwork's another really powerful tool. Um, that's why we combine it is amazing. I mean, they're showing these dopamine spikes from going in an ice bath Last, some of them are lasting longer than some pharmaceutical drugs or like the amount of inflammation that is being decreased in the body. So, you, you know, you can't have pain without inflammation. So if someone's really uncomfortable and a lot of pain, you submerge them in ice bath, they're going to be decreasing their inflammation. But then also, you know, movement in the body, but also movement within our circulatory system. You know, you're thinking, oh, you're just vasoconstricting everything and decreasing inflammation. What people don't realize is, you're vasoconstricting those blood vessels, so they're contracting. But then after you get out, everything's vasodilating, they're relaxing, and it's opening up all the channels to rush blood back to the surface. So just like you would do a bicep curl, you know, to grow your bicep, contracting blood vessels and relaxing blood vessels, especially at in like a you know aggressive manner, you're actually every single blood vessel is surrounded by a familiar muscle. So you're actually strengthening your whole entire circulatory system. And then, you know, your body, one, it, the metabolism spiked for a long period of time. You know, some studies even show up to 48 hours. So people are losing weight. Um, it's stimulating, you know, a hormonal response to actually be, you know, really breaking down fat. Um, people sleep incredible because your body has to work so hard all day to really warm up that I'm finding people that have insomnia or trouble sleeping on the days that they do their ice baths. We're improving their sleep scores, which is incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's like the mental achievement, right? So like you're achieving something, so you feel better. You have a huge endorphin spike, you have a dopamine spike, you're decreasing inflammation, and then you have the camaraderie of like 
really this bonding moment with whoever you're doing it with. And that's why you'll see at a lot of our events, you know, we'll line up 10 tubs and everyone's cheering each other on, or even with these corporate outings and these corporate retreats, what better way to bond than to, to as a group get through something that is difficult together. Um, and it's, it's beautiful to see because it's such a fast remedy where the benefits, I mean, you step out of that tub after six minutes, you feel like a superhuman. Yeah. You feel like your body's buzzing all day, you know, and then it's, it's cool for it to become a talking point or like, you know, I was in, uh, influenced by Wim Hof. Um, and that's really where I learned more and more about cold therapy way back in the day before most people knew who he was. And now, you know, like our ice baths are the most viewed ice baths on TikTok. You know, TikTok is the, the biggest platform in the world. And if you just hash, if you look at the hashtag six minute club, which is the club we created with ice baths, there's more views on six minute club than Wim Hof. So it's cool wow. that now something, and this is where I, I find social media powerful because I'm not a fan of social media, but what I did find that I learned, you know, at the seminar, and that was like four or five years ago was one of the biggest benefits of social media for alternative medicine was awareness because all these alternative remedies, you know, it's not like big pharma that can do a commercial or a billboard or these ads. So unless you heard it from a friend, you didn't really know. But now something I can put on TikTok, we can get 25, 30 million views. And people are like, oh my God, I want to do that. Oh my God, yeah. I, I, can, I can have a shift with like my mental state or be pain-free. And it's, it's so cool because just like I want Remedy Place to be a platform, I do think that one of the biggest things for social media for me as a benefit was that it's the awareness and the education of alternative medicine. It's, it's really cool because seeing people ask about cold showers or ice baths and it's becoming a big talking point and it's, it's like substantially changing. Like, even if you look at like Google searches, people are so curious and you know, if you don't have an ice bath, go take cold showers every day and see the impact that it has on your health. Um, once again, like I'm all about finding things that are free and finding things that are like foundational pillars that will change you for the better without having to spend any money. Well, you have plenty going on with your expanding uh, business and then your private practice. And certainly I hear uh, the excitement in your voice about how this can just continue to be elevated and how it can reach more people, which, uh, which is really inspiring. Our last question is always about, you know, you and how yeah. you take care of yourself. And I think um, what, I, I might recognize is that when we work in uh, health and well-being, sometimes the pressure is on to be really good at our self-care, to like be on in top shape. And so I'm curious to hear, you know, in a candid way, maybe behind closed doors or in, in, from your own personal repertoire, what what have you found for you personally as you manage all, all these things is is truly uh, restorative? for your health? Is yeah. there something that you can share with us that is more of your 100%. personal self-care? Yeah. I mean, I think, and this has always been a philosophy of mine, it is imperative to lead by example. If my job is to help people be better and to make them healthy, if I'm asking them to make changes in their lifestyle or asking them to do something and I don't do that, I'm never going to have an authentic relationship with a patient. I can't expect someone to do something that I don't do. 
Um, so it's always been a priority of mine to take care of my health. And also, you know, I'm fortunate in the sense that I was born healthy you know, I was given a perfectly healthy body. And I think I've been around so many people that are going through health issues and it makes me grateful on an everyday basis, how much I appreciate my health. And I think I'm fortunate in the sense that I'm constantly reminded where a lot of people take for granted you know, being given this healthy body. So for me, you know, I look at food as medicine, you know, anything that I put in my body or on my body, extremely important. You know, I think it always starts there because your food will change everything from your mental health to your pain to, you know, turning on or off any of these things that, you know, run in our families. And I think it has to start there. I think I really, I really make sure that that is clean and I've learned to love it. You know, it, it takes time. I think people need to understand that these changes, it's okay if it takes a really long time, you know, like make one change a month if that's what it takes. It doesn't have to always be abrupt because you have to do it forever. It's not this yo-yo diet where you can just do something for a couple months and then come off of it. Um, I move every day. I do some type of movement. I think that's really important. I don't move to be strong or powerful. I move to be functional and pain-free. Um, especially as pain is becoming a more and more of a problem in America or in the world. Um, I, I always have had a hard time meditating and I finally cracked the code a couple of years ago because I am such a go, go, go person, um, and type a personality. It was hard for me to ever shut off, but what I found is practicing an intense breathwork series has really been a way for me to shift from a conscious state to a subconscious state. Um, so I always practice breath work on a day-to-day -day basis before I get into my meditation. Um, and my meditations, because I'm such a visual person, um, I close my eyes not to not think about anything, I close my eyes to visualize what I want, whether that's personal, um, whether it's to be happy, whether it's a certain thing with, with the remedy or my career or my relationships. So I call it a visualization manifestation. So I'll go my breath work right into closing my eyes and and until I can see it, um, you know, sometimes it's quick. Sometimes it's like 30 seconds to a minute. Sometimes it takes me like 10 or 15 minutes, you know, um, but being really present in that moment and making sure that I'm reflecting on what I'm either grateful for or, or what I want. And then of course, everything in the club, you know, I do my functional medicine. Uh, I, I do a full workup every year. I think it's super important. Um, luckily I haven't had any red flags where I need to retest on a more frequent basis. Um, I do ice baths two or three times a week. I am obsessed with ice baths. Um, I get a massage every other week. I get adjusted every other week. I try to find time for acupuncture and cupping. I'll get about one IV, maybe two a month. And then I, I haven't recently as much, um, you know, I used to try to do every day, try to get in the hyperbaric, uh, cause it is so powerful. And, you know, the goal is to shut off in there, but I was like, okay, maybe I should start my morning and do my emails in the hyperbaric. Um, <laughs> that's becoming a little bit harder and harder um, as I've been, you know, more focused on the scaling of Remedy. And as I travel, you know, there's not hyperbarics everywhere I go. So that's a little bit harder, but I think the foundational pillars of eating, eating right, moving right, taking care of my mental health with the breath work and meditation, and then adding in these extra remedies and just maintenance, you know, our bodies, we, we endure so much, we need manual work, you know, like 
in order to get things moving right, sometimes you need someone's hands. The two biggest issues in America as far as like, uh, like data that shows why people miss work is the common cold and low back pain. Um, you know, not pain in general, just low back pain. So I know that to boost my immune system, I need to pay attention to what I put in my body um, to boost it and then just to make sure I'm moving right. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's a loaded question because I do some form of self-care every day. Surprisingly, that's by far the most comprehensive answer <laughs> to that question. Which, but there's so many things in there that I think are, are great, and I think the kind of so many different keys that you've you've touched on, which are you know physical, mental, you know spiritual, in in, in terms of how you're looking after yourself. Well, um, Dr. Jonathan Leary, thank you so much for joining us today. I've got one more quick question for you, but before we uh, ask you what. Um, track or piece of inspiration that you've got to to leave us with it'd be great for our listeners to know where they can find out more how can they uh, get more inspiration from you how can they find remedy place where's the best place to go yeah i would say right now um social media if you follow remedy place uh at remedy place or myself at dr jonathan leary we are shifting more and more to shift our social media to be education so i want people to go obviously it's you know, beautifully curated and, and photography and videos, but you're going to see Remedy Place and even my um, Instagram shift to, you know, mostly education for like applicable knowledge that anyone anywhere in the world can start applying. Um, so yeah, those are the best places for now. And then in the future, we'll have our own podcasts and all these other educational things. But for now, social media is the best. Very cool. And thank you so much for the conversation today. There's so many amazing things. It's really inspiring seeing what you and the team at Remedy Place are doing. And it's been great to hear your personal story. Um, is there a, a track or a piece of inspiration you could leave all of our listeners with uh, that's uh, inspired you uh, and, and might inspire them in turn? I would, I would say a, a track, don't chase. And the brighter that you shine, the more that you're going to attract. So always look internal and try to progress yourself. And the more you progress, the more the potential for anything. Awesome. Well, Dr. Jonathan Leary, thank you so much for joining us. It's been great to have you on Optimist in Progress. And we look forward to staying in touch. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Optimist in Progress podcast, brought to you by Optimist Drinks. This podcast is presented by Dr. Drea Lettermendi and me, Tom Johnston. It's produced and researched by Lisa Farr-Johnstone with original music from Reginald Science Perry and edited by Brian Ward and Aginia O'Dell. Email podcast at optimistdrinks.com with any questions or ideas and follow us at Optimist Drinks on Instagram for updates on upcoming shows.